This is my family, mental illness, and me. My name is Pamela Jenkins, and I'm a researcher at the Mental Health Foundation. My mum, Irene, lived with a mental illness. There were voices only she could hear, and she could quickly switch from feeling very high to very low. No one ever talked about it with me when I was young, even though I knew my mum was often unwell. When I was in my 20s, that's when a psychiatrist told me that my mum had schizoaffective disorder. Sadly, I lost her quite recently to COVID-19. But even though she's gone, her mental health will always be a huge part of my life. In each of these podcasts, I'll speak to someone else whose parent has or had a mental illness. In the UK, there are at least 3 million children of parents with mental illness. If you're one, it's really important that you know you're not alone. My Family, Mental Illness and Me is a podcast series from the charity Our Time, with support from the Mental Health Foundation. Our Time champions and supports children of parents with mental illness and their families. We've put links to more information in the show notes. This time, I'm chatting with someone whose experience as the child of a parent with mental illness has been part of his journey to becoming an MP. Hello, my name's uh, Neil Coyle. I'm the Labour MP for Bermondsey North Southwark in central London. Yeah, it's good, good to be here and um, I think important to talk about this so that in particular children who are growing up in similar circumstances they don't go through some of the experiences that, that I and others had in a very different environment as, as children ourselves. What age were you when you knew that your mum was mentally ill? I don't remember mum not having schizophrenia, but she 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 developed schizophrenia, and obviously the the how it's uh, the onset of schizophrenia is is still unclear. But um, so mum and dad married when mum was well. Mum was a primary school teacher, ran a drop in nursery for children, uh, was active in local church and other organisations, but. Whatever led to it, uh, my earliest memories, mum was already confused and unwell and not, not getting treatment, and that caused the relationship breakdown and lots of confusing experiences as, as a very young child being kept out of school because mum was convinced I was ill a lot, uh, and, and there were four of us, four children. This wasn't the same experience for my brothers and sister. Mum uh, set fire to a carpet in the living room uh, to you know there was no intent to harm anyone it was purely to keep warm either she had no money and couldn't work the meter or it was a, a, literally a coin meter back then or was confused and unwell and didn't know how to operate so lots of different confusing memories and then I'm aware that mum went to hospital for quite some time that was when the diagnosis came through and but it's been it's been part of my life. It's never been a time when I remember mum not being unwell, frankly. So it's uh, or, or having schizophrenia. There were there were long periods where she's had schizophrenia, and and you know there's been no massive impact. And so you said that it wasn't the same for your siblings. Just in terms of the uh, being kept out of school. So you were the only one kept out. Yeah, for whatever reason, part of mum's condition is meant she's fixated on certain things over over her lifetime and my lifetime. And I was convinced till um, a couple of years ago that uh, when I was born, I was on an incubator for some time. 
due to a lung issue, which um, Dad informed me was complete rubbish. Oh, really? <laughs> I'm true. Um, but but because Mum had told me that many many years ago, I just assumed it was a given. Yeah. And and but as I say, so perhaps Mum did think there was something wrong with me when I was first born, and that became a oh you can't go to school, you're not well, which when you see your siblings going off school, it was confusing. I think it was confusing for them as well, to be fair, but um, it was it was not something they had. We were all aware that mum was unwell. There was no there was no doubt to us. And, and of course, it, it, uh, it meant people who had been friends of the family were a little wary of, of mum suddenly being different and confusing and confused herself. Yeah, and so were you aware then when you say that when you were kept off school, for example, did you know that that was because your mum was mentally ill? Did they talk to you about it? No, no, and, and this is the thing. You, I mean, as children, you you put you put up with. You're you're, you're mm-hmm. socialised. Your 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 circumstances are what you consider to be normal. So um, you know whatever I would do at home was the normal stuff. That you know, mum's behaviour, mum's pattern was just mum. You don't, you know, children put up with a lot of parents with or without yeah. conditions. So you, you you get used to whatever uh, your parents do, and and of course once uh, mum and dad's relationship broke down because because of the circumstances, so he wasn't on the scene for quite uh, you know quite an important period where mum's mum was uh, not receiving the support she needed, and that's when social services and others became involved. But they they. Uh, they were not massively helpful. This yeah. is the 80s, and um, their priority <laughs> was to try and separate myself from, and my siblings and put us into formal uh, care services, which which I'm afraid back then, and there's a lot of work that still needs to be done today, let's not be about the bush, but back then would have meant I would probably be more likely to have gone to prison than gone to university, yeah. uh, certainly. So it's... Uh, why that was their priority is never, you know, we, we weren't really aware at the time, but, um, it went to family law court and dad had to fight for custody. Uh, mum's mum, who was also adjusting to these dramatically changed circumstances, uh, was a magistrate herself and came and spoke uh, on dad's behalf. And I, I believe it was her intervention that helped keep my uh, brothers and sister and myself together in dad's care. Her mum uh, and meant we still had uh, access, you know, we still saw mum, which Nan was absolutely brilliant at, however ill, however, you know, whatever the circumstances were. And how old were you at that time? I think the, um, I think I was about five or six, it's unsure, but I can't remember, but. Yeah, that's okay. Sorry, I should have prepared better for this. No, it's okay. And it was very, very difficult on her as well. But, but you know, Nan became an absolute. Um, you know, she was she was resolute. She supported both mum and us and our dad throughout all of it. And did anyone talk to you about what was going on, or was it ha- sort of happening around you and to you, or were there open conversations around your mum's mental illness? No, to, uh, you know, it was it was a. Uh, uh, to some degree, I would say there was a sort of an element of protection from not 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 saying that Mum had a condition, but but there was also there were also mistakes. So mm. I had um, I had a a teacher at school who insisted on both, inviting both 
parents to events and dad's work had meant he couldn't know but mum got an invite and decided she would turn up to something and um, when she wasn't well and it was awkward one of my best friend's mum sort of sat with my mum to make sure it wasn't or if anything happened it could be explained and, and that did help but it was uh, it was quite stressful actually it was it was a little nerve-wracking and, and of course I think we're more uh, relaxed about talking about conditions, but certainly back then it was there was less awareness and less comfortable. It was less comfortable to talk about, in part because of stigma, in part because people just don't understand, and those things go hand in hand. But yeah. it wasn't uh, to most people. Still today, actually, the understanding of schizophrenia is poor. People think it is a sort of mixed personality disorder or a multiple personality disorder yeah. kind of approach. In fact, that was one of the first at, at, at school once uh, when uh, when it had, you know, I, I think I'd actually raised it in discussion with someone that, that I, that mom, about mum's condition and they said, does that mean you've got two mums as a... Uh, as, as a joke, I, I, you know, kids make jokes about all kinds of things they don't understand. Um, it was upsetting at the time, to be honest, but uh, and there may have been a scuffle, <laughs> but it was, um, <laughs> you know, I certainly bear grudges about it. It was unfamiliar to them, and, and, and as I say, kids can be very unfair but not because it's a deliberate intention to be to upset someone. Yeah, but the reality of the home life for you was there, and so that's very raw when somebody does something like that. Yeah, and 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 of course, just as someone might have a misunderstanding of schizophrenia, to me it was you know, mum's condition is what it is, and I she had never had you know mixed personality. So for me, I didn't understand why people would that was their go to at the time. I didn't I didn't get why that's yeah. what they thought schizophrenia was because. We'd seen yeah. it and others hadn't. I'm not entirely convinced that it's so far removed from that now, people's perceptions, because it's so misrepresented in the media, schizophrenia. Yeah. Almost always, and especially when it comes to uh, characters in different, you know, either even mm, yeah. more systematic TV shows and things, but it's, yeah. it's, it's considered still something a little dangerous when actually our... Yeah. our um, Experiences with mum is that she she's become the target of violence and other problems as a result of her illness. She's never mm. uh, she's never been violent to anyone, and uh, and yet because of her either talking to herself or quite often just laughing to herself because of the, the you know the, the yeah. what she can hear that is very real and relevant to her but it's not something anyone else can understand. So she would laugh and, uh, you know, out in the public, and that would draw attention to her from people who whose motives are horrific. And, and Yeah. And in your circumstances, and actually in my own circumstances, we were lucky enough to have additional family who could step in. And um, I think it's only now as an adult I'm realising how fortunate it was to be in that position my mum also had well schizoaffective disorder so schizophrenia and bipolar and uh, the voices the talking the being out and people not understanding what was going on uh, was 
was very challenging as a child. And it's interesting what you were saying when you were saying before about this going to school and having to sort of explain, feeling like you needed to explain. It's a very big responsibility for a child to to take on. And that shouldn't have to happen. No, and, and, and it shouldn't be in and, that position. And even with um, other family members. So uh, mum's mum was, was, was an absolute uh, rock and very supportive and, and would drive over and drive us to uh, mum's routinely to make sure we were seeing her and she was seeing us and she mm-hmm. knew that we were part of her life. And it was other members of family were less understanding and, and it was all new and different and strange. And, and of course, lots of family only got snippets. So uh, dad's mum once yeah. refused to let mum take uh, me and one of my brothers to London for a bus trip thing, you know, an open top bus type uh, tour. But dad's mum was, was thought that was too much and the risks were too, too high that we'd get lost or separated or whatever, but simply because of mum's condition. I think, you know, I doubt anything would happen. In fact, mum has travelled on her own to all kinds of different places for, for, for many, yeah. many years. It's only uh, she's got a bit older and a bit more frail that that's been off the cards. So That's an autonomy issue as well. And see, you know, already I think when you have a mental illness, in so many ways your autonomy and independence is compromised. That's what I have seen anyway or I saw with my mum. And you don't have say over certain things. In fact, you're not included nearly as much as you should be in decisions that are being made for Mm. you, about you. And when it comes to then having a child, and I know certainly my mum felt, she knew that it was the best thing for me not to stay with her um, after my dad died. Uh, But, and even though she was part of that decision, there were times when I, I knew she felt like I had been taken away from her. And so that autonomy, again, her identity as a parent was compromised. That, that when, as a child, witnessing that and being part of that and seeing that, even if you're not fully understanding necessarily what's going on, really lives with you and stays with you how old were you at the time um i was well my mom had mental illness since before she sorry before i was born my dad died when uh, i had just turned 11 so i went to stay with my aunt and uncle when i was 10 my dad's sister and her family and it was absolutely the best decision it was they made entirely the best decision and it was made as a family but my mum really was the one that suffered from that decision. And long term, it really impacted on her mental health, I think, because she became more and more isolated. And I feel like it really contributed to her to her cognitive decline, actually, in the end, as well as her mental illness. It's just hard if there were more things in place for my mum and more things in place for me as a child it might have, maybe it would have been different, but everybody did their best. Every, you know, everybody's doing, family, they all did their best. It's just, and it would be great if, yeah, if there was more support for kids and also support that encouraged children who might not otherwise do so to disclose about their their parents' mental illness, about their circumstances, because I think that that 
embarrassment is a real thing. And when you're a child, it, you can end yeah. up just leading two different lives. That's something that's come up quite a lot. And I remember <laughs> just, I remember going on holiday with my mum. I was, must have been about 13 or 14. We just went, the two of us together. And she, you know, when you go, when you, or when you used to go to, I don't know where, there was a caravan park or wherever you went on holiday with your family or a resort and you would make pals with kids, other kids who were there. And then sometimes the parents would chat and, yeah. and whatnot. But I was always so worried about leaving my mom on her own that all the time. I just worried about her all the time. And part of that was worrying that she would be being embarrassing because she'd be talking to herself and was always trying to control that. Stop talking to yourself. But I met this little pal when we were on holiday. I think we, we were in Spain, actually, which was odd. It was the first time I'd ever gone on an airplane. We're from the east end of Glasgow. And at that time, the idea of going to a resort in Spain was really <laughs> strange. Anyway, it was very nice. <laughs> and I met this friend and I was really keen for my mum to be friends with the parents of this person who I'd met because then she wouldn't be on her own. So I orchestrated it so that of an evening she was sitting next to those parents. And I went away with my friend. And when I turned back, I saw the parents look at each other and give each other an expression like, like an oh geez, oh no, this woman's coming to sit with us. And because she would be talking to herself and she'd be, um, it's, it was, it was heartbreaking. And so much of that situation was stigma, other people's misunderstanding. It being a child of a parent with a mental illness, especially one that's very obvious is very, can be very, very, very difficult. You want, as children, you want everyone to be happy friends and, and, and family and you know people talk about this some people talk about this in terms mm. of wanting to fix something I, I think it's much more simple than that you, you, you want someone to be happy and I remember um it used to get you know when the wind picked up and you'd hear it through bath from the, the plug hole the the, the the overflow hole yeah and you'd hear that the wind blow and in mum's flat on, on on the high ride it was it was quite loud so, so when I heard that at home it like I was in a bath or whatever it would make it would make me think of mum and think that she was lonely. It's interesting and, to me. That you know, as a child, you don't want you don't want family members to be unhappy. No. But she had an uh, she had an amazing partner for for many many years. Uh, Rob, who was uh, from Glasgow as well, funny enough, he, uh. um, they were together for a long time, and Rob was a character in his own right. He, it was great that, and she had company, and 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 they, you know, they'd go down the, the pearly tavern, and they would dance in the pub on an afternoon together, even though most other people didn't dance in the pub. But it was, you know, they were they were happy. They had each other. It was, you know, yeah. but he he died quite suddenly. And it was very difficult after that, after such a long time together, and having having that company. Yeah, and that's a trauma as well. Together. Interesting. Um just to go back to what you said about the wind, if mm. you can believe it, I share that, not the exact thing that's a memory of the wind, but um, my mum, the house the council 
they up, it was a four in a block um, that they got, you know, in the 80s when the council um, sold off houses cheap. Uh, yeah. So they got one of those. And the wind would whistle through the windows of the council house. I won't, I'll spare you me trying to do an impression of the wind, <laughs> but it, it would blow through. And I, every now and again, I'll be somewhere where I will hear that similar noise. Mm. And it just makes me think of my mom in that house. Yeah. And that that noise always made me think of that particular flat, and 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 you know, man being around that was, uh, and and that was, as I say, it's it's just you don't want anyone to be unhappy. And even as adults, you and your siblings are taking on that responsibility that that you've had in one way or another on some level since you were children. Uh, even. Even the discharge and other points uh, coming out of hospital is so problematic. And, uh, you know, my Mr. Lillian, the, the social services there have been a massive headache. Alex, is, my sister, has taken on most of this and has been uh, brilliant. But the headache she's had, you know, <laughs> she, she phoned social services, you know, as an adult child of someone with a mental health condition to say, Mum's in hospital with a broken leg. How will you work out getting her when she's ready to come out and stuff? And about, you know, two days later, checking in, checking out what's going on. Have you sorted anything out yet? The hospital says she's almost ready to, you know, she's ready to come out as soon as you are. Wait to talk to someone. And when they came on the phone, the social worker, or probably administrator, to be fair, I don't know, but um, just said, oh, yeah, uh, your mum's in hospital. I said, <laughs> And Alex just explained, yeah, we, we know that bit. <laughs> We're waiting for you to sort the bit that actually is your job, which is about how does this, you know, what, what is she going to need, mm-hmm. especially given uh, the, you know, the metal rod in the leg uh, is, is it's an extreme change, much less physically mobile, and just nothing. And it was it's extraordinary. That, uh, and I think, Obviously, council has been under the cost for a decade, and this was exactly part of the problem in the eighties. It's come back. You know, mm-hmm. we've got we've got uh, councils who who try and screen, and, and there, there's councils that far too routinely make massive assumptions about what the rest of the family can do. Bearing in mind, none of us live in Moon. Uh, I'm probably the nearest uh in london alex my sister's in kent and the rest you know, one of my brothers lives in china and one's in newcastle so it's not mm-hmm. we're not on the doorstep um but there's a massive assumption by says about what what family members can do and actually in the census when you see the figures about the number of children supporting family members with all kinds of different health conditions but mental health conditions are in there it is you know that the idea that children should be providing that and not be focused on their own socialization, mm-hmm. playing, learning, and equipping, you know, we as a society should be equipping them for the future and the means, giving them the means of best allowing them to participate to the best of their ability now and as they grow up. We want active citizens, we want people to be able to contribute. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet we're still obliging because of poor mental health services, poor social services, cuts to council services generally, and to the, and squeeze on the NHS if you look at the figures. We're still obliging children to take on a huge amount of informal care responsibility, which children are not equipped to do. Yeah. And that's worrying. And I think a lot of children of parents with mental illness are not recognised as in that group. So, so often they slip through the cracks because they're not recognised as carers. Do you feel, would you classify yourself 
when you were a child as a carer? I didn't live with mum for a lot of it, so no. I, would, I wouldn't have, albeit there were times when even as a teenager intervening with mental health services trying to get uh, help out to mum and things. So there were there were points yeah. definitely where as children we were we were trying to engage in services. I think my older brother Matt who who was living with mum took on much more of that, uh, you know, the direct day by day stuff mm-hmm. and, and sort of management stuff. But um but now also in terms of trying to make sure finances were smooth, you know, benefits were sorted and mm. there was little support for all of that. Did you worry about your mum a lot when you were young? Yeah, worry definitely. As I say, you know, even worried about her being lonely is part of, was part of that. But but to know that she'd come to harm, physical harm, as a result of being, and, and mum's quite, you know, quite small. So mm-hmm. you know, to know that she'd been targeted and and, and, and attacked and, uh, and 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 you know and and targeted for uh, you know financial rip off as well. People who come to the door to loan money, extortion rates. And, yeah. Yeah. Uh, she was very vulnerable. Definitely worrying, and and there there is a, there's always been hope that mm-hmm. medication would work or uh, you know, mum would be able to better participate in a way that was you know made her less strange to other people. Yeah. Even if, and to be frank, there were times when she was or certainly seemed happy when unwell. Um, it would have been good if there'd been more support and, and better treatment and. I think mum would have been obviously mum would have been happier and better if she'd been able to participate in a in a different way. But uh, that's not yeah. that's not the circumstances. You can only I know. play the cards you're dealt, and it's yeah. uh, you, you as I say, children get on with the life they have, and uh, it's up to uh, us as a society to try and build the apparatus to give them the best chances yeah. and make sure that there, there are means of supporting those who need it. Yeah. And uh, there are far too many children still in circumstances. Mm-hmm. Uh, two, two alike to uh, mine and sounds like yours. Yeah, I mean, so much of what you're saying resonates. The worrying about the, my mum being lonely, how vulnerable she was when she was at home. People would take advantage all the time. The isolation, the just that that knowledge that she wasn't participating in society. She never ha- did have a job, and the medication, as you've said, was not great. The side effects were terrible. I asked you about whether or not you felt you were a carer because even though you didn't live with your mum or necessarily directly provided that care for her, there I think there is a body of thought that says a child is a carer for a parent at the point at which they're worrying about them to such an extent that it's impacting on your life. And mm-hmm. I don't think I was ever not thinking about my mum even when I wasn't thinking about her. It was all the time. It was constant. And I loved her just beyond anything like I just had so much love for her and so much concern it was all consuming so as a child that's really hard I think and there are so many children in that position and they don't understand what's going on they might maybe can't even comp you know in their own minds they're probably not even recognizing it and they need support they need support yeah, and that's as that, yeah. children are very accepting of the circumstances they find. They don't necessarily realise what is different, wrong, or, or, or troubling. Or um, we're still not as much as there's a bit more uh, awareness and um, less stigma. Mm-hmm. 
I still don't think we're equipping children to talk about the impact as well, because and you've touched on this about the longer term impact for uh, the children themselves yeah. can be it can be hugely you know, hugely difficult. I you know I'm uh, I'm very lucky to serve such an amazing community here in central London, but I'm, I'm acutely aware my life, you know, my, my life chances could be very, very different given the, the, the circumstances I grew up in. There's been points in my life where I've sought counselling and other support because it's, it does, it does have an impact. I do remember, uh, I think it was getting to university and one of my aunts was saying, well, it's, it's amazing you're not on drugs or in prison. <laughs> and it was, <laughs> And, oh you know, word. it's strange to think that simply because of mum's health condition mm-hmm. that others then saw our life chances and our expectations should be lower or were lower, which would, would just be lower as a result. And that's, um, looking back, extraordinary, not something that, that anyone should conclude. Yeah. And the decisions about best interest for individuals and families need to be, you know, really long-term because services are still to this day too late intervening it's a crisis point that decisions are taken so emergency circumstances lead to emergency measures and actually if there was a more uh, low-level intervention type approach it would save a fortune for um, services including the nhs but broader services Mm -hmm. as well as lead to better outcomes for children and 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 their prospects for the future Mm -hmm. And there are so many points at which you could have these conversations with children that would then, as well as services, but even just having conversations. I don't know how you feel about this in terms of your own mental health, but it definitely then li- it lives with you. And, and I certainly have residual feelings of guilt and shame. And if it had been more openly talked about and... Like it might change the outcomes later on for the well-being of that child. And the points at which you could do that, people were coming in. There were there were GPs, there were social workers, there were psychiatrists, there were home helps, you know, teachers. Yeah. And and I think those 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 points you're raising, those conversations, they really fail to pick up on basics. So uh and uh, I, I about this previously but you know if just asking children how is your mum dad whoever it might be in the family might have brought out more support and actually because partly because services were so in in some circumstances were so awful Mm. um, she was reticent to engage with services so she avoided them like the plague Mm. and that meant things were hidden Uh, relationship with services was i don't want them yeah. Anyone hear me? Because of the experiences I've had and the terrible medication and inpatient treatment, where mum, you know, did come out with bruises and things, and it's to see the coercion in treatment figures yeah. rocking up again in the last years is really scary mm. for what that means for the individuals involved and and children growing up who see parents come out physically worse than when they went in. Absolutely. But just asking, you know, children how you might have brought out from us. Well, um, you know, look in the fridge. Yeah. <laughs> The milk's been off for a week, yeah. and how you know it's clearly not managing um, yeah. food and drink. You know the consequences of that yeah. are, are, are an indication that health is worse than is necessarily being 
presented so yeah not coping and and that's the the non-compliance with medication and this suspicion of services completely can relate to that my mum was the same actually it was only after she died that I really realized the extent of it because all of the compulsory treatment orders that she was under and you know gosh she was under those for 15 years nearly all of those compulsory treatment orders were detailing you know not being allowed in the house not you know just I just feel in so many ways I just feel like I should have done more what but then as a child what can you do or even as an adult child there's there's only really so much you can do without being in the, in the position of being a carer and that's well and of course if you're and, and as, as an as an adult there are points of conflict yeah. you may think a course of action will deliver better results and faster that the other family members or you know mum or others don't think is the, the most appropriate um so it, it, you shouldn't really be put in that position and certainly not as children no, but um no. but yeah mum's mum's uh, also been periodical and, and i do think that having had five children and and not regularly seeing especially my half brother there's you know that that has caused problems around birthdays and christmas and mm-hmm. that's that's when I, I guess there's also a question mark. For, uh, there has been a question mark about what's the point. If I take this and I still don't have my life back in, in Mum's case, then um, and and yet I have all the consequences and side effects of medication over years. It's it's you know it's easy to see why people do not. And, and of course with schizophrenia, I think the, the employment rate is still something like five percent. Of course, Mum never went back to the job she was doing. She was a supply teacher yeah. for some time, but that that fell through as 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 uh, she tended to be cool and she was unwell. Yeah. She was a cleaner in a McDonald's. She did all kinds of other jobs uh, to try and uh, just stay active. But it's it's she went from being married and four children and active and, and, and positive participant to having a condition that lots of people were suspicious and fearful about and it led to lots of confusion and, um, yeah. you know, very different life. It is. It is very different. And there is much, much more to do. And I know the government promised a mental health bill back in uh, when they were elected and they said it's you know, imminent. And I I. I and my understanding is still coming by the end of this year. Mm-hmm. So I hope we will see a dramatic change in, in, in terms of the supports available to our families and the intervention points. So, yeah. And uh, have the children mentioned, that would be nice. Recognition yeah. of the children uh, themselves. Yeah, and, and of course there is a, there's a balance in the sensitivities around final say, but best interest should be the determining factor. And I was involved, you know, part of my personal experience growing up with mum meant when I went to work I, I you know I'm the kind of person I, I, I like I would like most people prefer to work in something that has a personal connection or interest yeah. and I started working at Disability Rights Commission and got involved in their policy and other uh, teams and, and helped work on the Medical Capacity Act which has best interest mm-hmm. clauses and, and a lot of the aims and direction of the Medical Capacity Act legislation is going to be used we're told by Department of Health to shape the direction of mental health reform, which is overdue. So mm-hmm. I hope to be part of that, 
implant I'll certainly be taking my personal experiences and my consistent mm-hmm. experience from my casework and the organisations and yeah. uh, both children and adults I work with here in, here in Southwark. Because lived experience is so important, isn't it, for these things? Definitely. It and has to happen with people with experience. Absolutely. And this is very much part of the disability rights movement is in nothing about us without us. And, and the National Centre for Independent Living is involved in the Experts by Experience programme mm-hmm. in social care because... You know, you can't build services, you can't build support or treatment without actually understanding what it is people want, yeah. care about and need. And mm-hmm. and children are just as much part of that as adults. And Absolutely. if we continue to build services without the participation of the experts who, who live with conditions and live with the, you know, we both clearly got personal experience of, of not just a, a failure to engage other part of services, but a resistance to linking in with services because of other experiences imagine reshaping that oh. so that people didn't have the negative experience and could then yeah. seek treatment whatever it might be yeah. just engage more freely and and in more control yeah. which is part of the i hope will be part of the reshaping of service absolutely and more acceptance as well going back a few steps but more acceptance as well around around mental illness so sort of overcoming that stigma and you'd mentioned before about helping people seem less strange but actually Maybe we should be focusing on, on just the people who are thinking that in the first place. <laughs> you know, it's yeah, not... yeah. I, and I think what I was saying was, you know, less strange to other yeah, people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and and actually, I think it does make it easier for me to have difficult conversations with constituents. Um, you know, some of my team, you know, when people turn up, we used to open door obviously pre-COVID, open door surgeries, and people would just turn up and. It's been easier for me to deal with those who who can present in, in you know when unwell yeah. and and in a confused state or you know I had one constituent sat in front of me who said her family were persecuting her and during the conversation it became clear that she thought they were in the room with us right then oh. so you know once I realised that it made other avenues and, and support for her a little bit easier actually but. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's very much mental ill health is part of almost everyone's life at some point in their life, mm-hmm. um, and 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 for most people, it's depression and 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 grieving around the loss of a loved one. But I think I think the figure is four in ten more people experience mental ill health on a, on a personal level at some point in their life. So it is part of normal life. Yeah. Um, we are all strange in our own ways, and um, a bit more acceptance of difference yeah. is no bad thing. And open conversations, and that will have a knock-on effect then of the children who are going through these experiences right alongside the grown-ups. Yeah, and I think, I don't know, probably this is more from dad than from mum, but I've always been quite testy about some of this. If I tell someone... You know, if, if I've, I've never shied away from talking about um, albeit you know that initial poor experience with a friend. I don't think actually, to be fair, I don't think we were as close friends after that because of his reaction. But but I've always, if I've told people about mum and they've reacted badly, well, you know, bad like you because I don't need I don't need mm. that, and I've, I won't put up with rubbish. So it, you know, it's there. I have, you know, I've not been able to change it or, or, or remove it. So it is mum. It's my mum. It's the only mum I've ever known. And, you know, you, you love your family no matter what. Yeah. But this can serve you well. I don't think you would be where you are now without them. <laughs> I'm very sure you I, I do think, and, and from what you said, you know, you, you develop coping mechanisms, self-defence mm-hmm. 
mechanisms as well and maybe that's part of it but um and and i think in my family a lot of it's been around a sense of humor that can be quite dark actually at times we <laughs> and we do uh you know take the uh, proverbial take mickey out of each other and and stuff in a way that i i've i've known friends be a little surprised that it's given us a strength i think we've given each other strength as siblings as well as through living through it but also helping deal with some of it i'm so i'm i'm glad that the outcome has been a good one for you yeah and it it, it shouldn't people shouldn't shouldn't that the part of the change in in, in attitudes that needs to come to the change in mental health law perhaps is this we shouldn't fear mental ill health we should work out how to adapt and adjust and support those who experience it, both the individual and families, because that's that's crucial. And that's how you build services that actually work. Um, yeah. And still, too much there is fear and suspicion and misunderstanding, and, and a lot of that needs to be tackled. If the attitudinal stuff, as well as uh, the, the if, if we're to get better results and services, and you know, as I say, I'm I'm as motivated now as a member of parliament by yeah. the need to improve and and, and save money by delivering better services that get better outcomes for people with health problems and the children, you know, that's just as important. It's, it's, yeah. if anything, it's, it's, it's the amount of money that gets lost in the system by doing things wrong and not intervening at mm-hmm. right times is, makes it even worse. Yeah. It's an issue of prevention. This is actually pre- prevention, working with Absolutely. the children and their families alongside just treating the, the, the illness and the person with the illness will prevent further issues yeah. down the line, including issues with the mental health of the child. Of course. And it's, it's, it comes back to this, do we wait for the crisis or an emergency or do we deal with that? Front? And, and in other conditions, I think we're getting a bit better at this, like uh, diabetes and obesity yeah. and smoking and cancer and other conditions. And yet we still haven't really punched through fully on mental health. Don't wait for... Uh, you know, crisis and the police arriving at A and E. It's just not, yeah. uh, just not a sensible system for anybody, let alone the children who are still in too many numbers out there without sufficient support for uh, a parent with a mental health condition. Yeah, Neil, I honestly could talk to you about this all day. I can't thank you enough for coming, and and I know how hard it is to talk about this. It's it's been a little bit more difficult than I expected, and uh, uh, it, but actually, you know, it's well. One thing it's made me realise I haven't spoken to mum for a couple of weeks, so I should call <laughs> after this. But uh, but also, it's that the probably you know talking to you has been fascinating because I I don't think I ha- I have enough of these conversations with other people who've uh, similar or shared experiences. Yeah, and that's part of the reason why we, we, we've done this, because I think people, we don't have these conversations. The first one of these episodes that I did, it dawned on me, was the first proper conversation I'd had about my mum with somebody with a similar experience ever. And so I'm really glad that that you've enjoyed it. And, and, and also thank you for opening up. I can't honestly thank you so much and for being so candid as well. It's not easy and it's... It's always raw, actually. It lives with you. It lives with me every day. Getting support right is so crucial to the well-being of children. It is. Thank you, Neil, so much. No, it's good. I'm, I'm glad we've had this conversation. Gosh, 
I don't know about you, but I think it's rare to hear an MP talking so personally and candidly. Thank you so much again to Neil Coyle. Visit OurTime.org.uk for support and resources for children and families affected by parental mental illness. You can follow them on social media at OurTime Charity, and we've also put lots more links and places to find information and support in the show notes. Also, if you feel like you're struggling with mental health or you've been affected by anything in this episode, it's really important you speak to someone. There are links to help in the show notes, but also you can contact your GP, the Samaritans on 116123 or Childline 0800 1111. Thank you so much for being with us today. Subscribe to our feed so you get future episodes automatically downloaded. And if you know someone who'd benefit from hearing these stories we're sharing, please let them know we're here. That's really important. We really want people to know that they're not alone. This is a Bespoken Media production with music and sound design by Joe Cox. See you next time.